0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning. I have a powerful testimony to share with you this morning.
1: It's, um, it's actually my personal encounter with a King the day that I met Jesus
0: let me introduce myself. My name is uh, Nicodemus. It means conqueror of the people. I guess my parents were somewhat presumptuous to give me a name like that, but truth be told, I was born into wealth and privilege. I was destined to be a leader from the very beginning. I am a Pharisee, and not just any Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a leader of the Sanhedrin, a ruler of God's people. I guess I'm a part of the cultural elite. If you were to ask anyone, they would tell you that I am the preeminent teacher of our day. And I am passionate. I'm passionate about Yahweh's people, our people, the people of Israel. And it grieves me to no end that we are occupied by Rome. That we have to bow our knee to Caesar as king. That we have not seen the fulfillment of God's promises
1: to Samuel that one would sit on his throne. And the reason that we're in this mess is because of a lack of holiness. Holiness. Cleanliness. Purity. That's what matters. That's what's important. Only our people would see. And so what we have
0: done... Pharisees, we have decided to take the requirements of the priests, the Levites, and say to the people, Live like this. Because if we live like this, then we will see the blessings of Yahweh on our people. Then God will establish his rule and he will overthrow Rome and
1: we will take our rightful place on the stage of history. Purity, cleanliness, holiness. That's what matters. That's what I'm passionate about. Not long ago, there was a bit of a stir in Jerusalem. It was Passover festival and a teacher had arrived, a prophet, a healer, a, a carpenter.
0: And he was walking around teaching of the kingdom of God, healing people. But you know the craziest thing he did? was he walked into the outer courtyard of the temple one Sabbath and he took a bunch of cords and he fashioned a whip and he walked through the temple courtyards and he drove out all of the money changers and all of the traders yelling that the Father's house should
1: be a house of prayer. Who is this guy? They were furious. They questioned his authority. You know, it kind of got me thinking. I remembered those words, Zeal for your house will consume me. I began
0: to ponder. I had so many questions I I needed to ask this young rabbi. And so I went to him at night. At night, because obviously there's no crowds and obviously no one's watching. There's no peering eyes. And we could have a heart to heart, we could talk. And so I went to him and I, I found him reclining by a table, retired for the evening. As I approached him, I called him rabbi, half seriously but half sarcastically at the same time. I mean, it had taken me years to achieve the success that I had achieved in my life, years of apprenticeship, years of study, and here was this uneducated, unapprenticed
1: carpenter. Rabbi, I said to him, you must be from God. For who else could do the miracles you were doing if God were not with you? And his response to me was not what I was expecting. He said to me, Nicodemus, i tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I was so confused. Born again? Born again? How can someone go back into their mother's womb a second time? Oh, perish the thought. What a disgusting thought. So confused. And so Jesus said to me, no one one enters the kingdom of God unless they are born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. The words of the prophet Ezekiel flooded my mind. I will sprinkle water on you.
0: I will cleanse you from your impurities. I will cleanse you from your idolatry. I will put a new heart in you and I will give you my spirit.
1: I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What a spirit. Of course. Not that I wanted to let on playing my cards close to my chest. After all, I am a teacher of the law but I think Jesus knew that I knew because he said to me, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Do you hear that sound? It's the wind. Do you know where it's going? Do you know where it's come from? Of course we don't. The wind blows wherever it pleases. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit born of the the ruach, breath of God. My mind raced back
0: to Ezekiel again, to the valley of dry bones, as the prophet Ezekiel stands
1: before the valley and God commands him, and he breathes life into properly dead bones, born of the Spirit. As I was connecting the dots, this, this realization came upon me. What if this young teacher is correct? Flesh gives birth to flesh. What was he suggesting about our birthright as God's people? You must be born of the Spirit. What, what did that mean? A heart of stone, dead bones, dead? Are we dead? What does he speak of? An inner renewal. But what of the law? What of my life? I've given everything to the ways of the Pharisees. What about the purity rituals? Surely they still matter. We are God's inheritance. We are his special people. We are, we're privileged. Surely
0: we will see the kingdom of God because we trace our bloodline to the forefathers.
1: No. This cannot be. This this young disruptor, what is he saying? So I said, Jesus, how can this be? My confusion fading all too obviously into doubt. Jesus clearly expected me to know better. Because he said to me, you are Israel's teacher
0: and you don't understand? I speak to you of earthly things and you don't understand. How will I ever speak to you of heavenly things? No one
1: has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I was shook. I was confused. I needed to ponder these things. And you add to that, no
0: one had ever spoken to me like that before. A man of such distinguished
1: position as myself. And if I had not detected a hint of love in his rebuke, I would have been utterly offended. this mean? Is this an invitation?
0: Well, not long after that, Jesus and his disciples headed off into the Judean countryside, and every part of me wanted to go with him. but I knew I couldn't. And so I listened and waited for news as it trickled back to Jerusalem. News of Jesus teaching on a mountain, news of Jesus healing a man born with leprosy, news of Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. The teachings of the kingdom of God. Well, a couple of years later, Jesus and his disciples returned back to Jerusalem. This time, it wasn't the Passover, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus taught again. And he taught unlike any rabbi had ever taught before. This unschooled, unapprenticed, uneducated carpenter crowds gathered. They listened to him teach. They said, isn't this the one that the rulers are trying to arrest? And if they've not arrested him, surely they must agree with him. Well, at Sanhedrin that day, we had a long meeting about what was taking place. The Sanhedrin was furious, and so we decided to arrest Jesus. The high priest called in the temple guards, and he sent them out to go and arrest This young apprentice and bring him to us.
1: A few hours later the guards came back empty-handed. The high priest, furious, said, Why did you not bring him in? They replied, No one has ever taught like this man. One of the Pharisees in a rage said, Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But somehow these uneducated plebs have be beyond them. But I saw the irony. I saw the hypocrisy of this moment.
0: You see, the charge they were bringing against Jesus was one of lawlessness. And
1: here we were trying to arrest a man without any fair trial. So I decided to pluck up the courage to speak up. I said this, does our law condemn a man without first
0: hearing him to find out what he has been doing? As soon as those words rolled off my lips, I knew I had said too much. My fellow brothers turned and stared at me with eyes like daggers.
1: They accused me of being a fellow Galilean, a dig that they knew would both shame me and silence me. And yet in that moment, I felt this tension of allegiance. Well, it wasn't long after that that the Sanhedrin eventually got their way. Perhaps six months down the track, they managed to convince Pilate to release that murderer, Barabbas, in exchange for the life of Jesus. And I saw him. I saw him stripped naked. I saw him flogged. I saw him carry his cross to the the
0: skull, the place of the skull. And I saw the Roman soldiers drive nails through his hands and his feet.
1: And I saw him lift up. In that moment, I saw I remembered the words that Jesus first said to me that night I first met him.
0: Those words that rattled around my head. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His
1: one and only Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. saw. Our eyes were open just as Moses lifted
0: the snake up in the desert, that all of God's people who were bitten by snakes would look upon
1: the snake and be saved and rescued from dying. So anyone who looked upon the lifted up Messiah would be saved and rescued from our impurity and cleansed from our unrighteousness. Suddenly, I saw in his death, he is lifted up. This is not the political kingdom I expected. This is a spiritual renewal. This is Yeshua, Yahamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah.
0: Later that evening, I went to Pilate, my good friend, Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was also on the Sanhedrin like myself. And he too, like me, was a secret follower of Jesus. And so we went to Pilate and we asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph had brought with him the linen cloth. And I had brought with me about 32 kilograms of myrrh and aloes. I know, right? 32 kilos.
1: Enough to bury a king. You know what? For me, that's what it felt like I was doing. Burying a king. the king king of Israel. So we wrapped his body according to the custom of our people. We laid him in a freshly cut tomb that Joseph owned and we rolled a stone in front. My name is Nicodemus and I was a Pharisee and I cared, no, I still care about
0: holiness and purity and cleanliness but I obsessed with the cleansing of cups and pitchers. And I was concerned about not walking on Shabbat. And I was concerned about the company that I kept,
1: all in an attempt to be holy and pure. And I used to think that if I could just course correct the
0: behavior of our people, if I could get them to focus on what they were failing to do,
1: then God would usher in his kingdom. Now see. Rather than focusing on our behavior, we need to look upon Messiah. I have experienced a quickening of a change of heart. The wind of life has blown through me. And needless to say, my encounter with Jesus has left me completely. Well, that is my, uh, thank
0: you. Do I bow? Is that, is that what happens? That's my first um, step into drama. How did I go, Grace? I was just, Grace prayed for me out the back. Actually, Grace is an actor. I was like, Grace, I'm doing a first person monolog I'm freaking out. Uh, what a beautiful story. And um, as I was reading and researching the life of Nicodemus this week, I felt like I wanted to walk in his shoes. I felt like I was walking in his shoes. I felt like I understood his connections and his relationships and, and absolutely I've added some poetic license to the story, so forgive me for adding to the Word of God. I'm not sure if I'm disqualified from being a pastor of this church now, but um, it's just such a beautiful story of a person who encounters Jesus. And the Holy Spirit records that encounter for a particular reason. And uh, the reason is to teach us about what theologians call the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration, of re-creation. That word genesis means to create, of re-creation. It's what is called not an uh, alter- alteration of our souls, not an addition of our souls, not a subtraction of our souls, but a complete drastic change of our inner beings. It is the radical and complete transformation of the Holy Spirit, the secret work of the Spirit in our lives. We think of the work of the Spirit in two separate ways. The, the initial work of the Spirit is the work of awakening our dead soul, of regenerating us. The ongoing work of the Spirit, what theologians call sanctification, is our progressive Christ-likeness as the Spirit changes us and makes us more and more like Jesus. And what we have seen in this story is regeneration, new creation, as God makes us new people by the work of His Spirit. And there are four quick things I want to draw out about regeneration from this story. And the first is this. What we need is an entire rebuild and not just a renovation. For the best part of the last two years, we've been trying to buy a house in the inner west. And we've been to... All of the open houses on Saturdays, many of you have done the same thing, whether you're looking for a rental or looking to buy. And you go through all of the inspections. It looks amazing online, and then you turn up, and it looks like a completely different house when you get there. And for the most part, the houses that we looked at, which looked really nice and actually looked like the photos we couldn't afford, the houses where we turned up that needed a bit of renovation was probably the things that were in our budget. But there was one particular house that I remember remember inspecting I went by myself. I took Piper with me, kind of because I knew it was a bit of a a dodgy house. And and we walked in, and the agent said, I'm sorry, I can't open the front door. I don't have the keys. You have to go around the back. That's interesting. We walked down the back, and I saw in the side garden bed all of those blue mattresses, those pump-up blue mattresses from Kmart, 20, 30 of them, the backyard, covered with these blue mattresses. I walked in the back door, and I was immediately hit with a stench of bleach. And as I walked in, I saw gaping holes in the roof, a kitchen that was falling apart, a bathroom that was covered in mold and dripping with bleach from the ceiling. And I immediately said to Piper, do not touch anything. As we began to walk through the house, it was clear that the foundations of the house had moved because the floor was on somewhat of a lean and every step we took, the floor was moved. And I wasn't quite sure if it was safe enough to walk through there. And as we got into the bedrooms, it stunk with this stench of urine. And I walked into each of the bedrooms, holding my breath, and then quickly exited. And I got back to the agent, and I said to him, get a building inspection done on this place. And he almost burst out laughing. He said to me, you know what, with this one, we're just selling it for the value of the land. And it kind of got me thinking, you know, for the most part, I think we believe that if we were to look at our own lives, what we really need is a bit of a freshen up, a bit of a makeover, a new kitchen, new bathroom, good bones, good structure to this life. We just need a reno. But what this passage is telling us is, in fact, we don't just need a reno. We don't just need a, a lick of paint and the latest pendant lights and a nice fiddle fig sitting in the corner. No, actually what we need is a complete knockdown rebuild. We need a new house. We need a new entirely source of life really what we've been doing, we've been living lives that have false started. We think that we're running this race and, and somehow we've gone off track. We've just got to get back on track on our lives. But the reality is we need to come all the way back to the beginning and start again. And that is the work the Spirit does in our life. So what we need is not just a, a tweak, a restyle, a reno. What we actually need is a complete remake. And that is the secret work of the Spirit. Taking dead hearts and bringing them to life. Taking people who once had no desire for a a love or affection for God and the Spirit birthing that inner. The second thing from this uh, understanding of the doctrine of regeneration is it is the Holy Spirit who awakens. It is the Holy Spirit who awakens. And what that means is that no one is beyond God's power to transform their lives. That is as true of you as it is of everyone else that you know in your life. No matter how far from God you are this morning in this room, no matter how far from God your family member or your friend or your neighbor or your colleague is, no one is beyond the reach of God. No one is beyond the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: The power of the Spirit to awaken is the power to breathe new life, into dead bone. You see, we don't
0: do anything to that. If you think about the analogy of what Jesus gives Nicodemus here, the analogy of birth, right? None of you contributed anything to your own birth. It was your mother who had to endure the pain, who had to shed blood so that you could be born.
1: We don't contribute to that. It is the power of God by the Spirit awakening, bringing new life for soul. Now that both what that means is, it takes the pressure off us as everyday missionaries, and it gives us great confidence in the task of sharing the good news of Jesus the world so desperately needs. It's not about us. We
0: cannot engineer this change in people's lives. We cannot manufacture this change in someone. Our theological arguments cannot be so watertight that you could argue someone
1: into the kingdom of God. No, it is the Spirit, God, who needs to bring new life. And that means the pressure's off. We have confidence. Thirdly, it means that you cannot self-help your way into the kingdom of God. Now, we live in a
0: culture that is obsessed with wellness. Many have called it the wellness revolution and everyone would arise early to go to boot camp and worship at the altar of the bench press and partake of the common cup of the green smoothie. That is our world. That's the world we live in, a world that is obsessed with wealth, uh, with well, uh, wellness and health. Our bodies are sacred, and so we abstain from certain contaminants that might harm our bodies because these are sacred things. We perform cleansing rituals to get rid of toxins. And we scrub and we clean and we wash and we moisturize
1: and we wipe. Why? So that we will feel good about ourselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with wellness or health or fitness
0: or taking care of our bodies. They have been a gift that God has given us. Who he's entrusted them through. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we live in a world that is obsessed with this, a world, of self-achievement, self-actualization, a world of Instagram influencers who tell us that everything that you need to change yourself lies in your
1: two hands. It's all about you. We can begin to believe the lie, the narrative of our culture, that we can
0: self-help our way. That somehow we could offer ourselves presentable to God. But the problem is, Jesus reminds us, right? Flesh gives birth. No matter how much we seek to change the exterior of our lives, we're still us. You're still you. Flesh gives birth And unless we have some external power come in and radically change us
1: from the inside out, the externals make very little. The fourth thing I wanna say about this is that you need to be born again. I have two here this morning and You wouldn't
0: identify as a follower of Jesus. And you might even hear that phrase, born again, and cringe a little bit. In fact, researchers told us that that is Aussie's least favorite description of a Christian. Born again. That's a problem for us, right? Because Jesus kind of says it's central to what it means to be a follower. To be born again. Perhaps the closest equivalent these days, maybe even surpassing it, is the term evangelical. Because
1: of our friends in the U.S. Born again Christian. But I want to say to every single person in this room, you personally need to be born again. You need an
0: awakening of the soul. You cannot muster that yourself to present yourself before God. To be in right standing and right relationship with God requires the breath of the Spirit to blow through us, to change that heart of stone into a heart of flesh to awaken desires for God that just never existed before, and to breathe new life. You need to be born again. I want to say to every person in this room who is not a believer this morning, this is an invitation for you. This is an invitation this morning that Jesus offers to give you a brand new start. Not just some tweaks, not just an alteration, not just a subtraction here, but a completely brand new start, a fresh start with God today. And all that's required is to receive the forgiveness that He offers, is to look up upon the exalted Jesus as He hung on the cross and died in your place for your sins. But maybe you have been born again. Maybe this morning you do identify as a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And my question for you is, are we living like we've been born again? Are we living like we are people who have been given new life? Or are we somehow living in the old ways? The work of the Spirit doesn't end the moment we become Christians. The work of the Spirit continues to shape us and change us and make us more and more like Jesus. And so let's come again and look to the risen Jesus and remind ourselves of what he has done and live in light of the reality. People whose lives internally are so radically changed that that would spill out on all of the externals of our life. Are we living as if we are new people, new creations? This beautiful story that we see this morning, this encounter of a confused pastor, a confused teacher. Helps us see what God wants to do in all of our lives. And is my prayer this morning God is doing in your life. So I'm going to pray for us and invite you to stand as the band comes up and leads us in a time of worship. Let's stand together and let me pray over us, church, that we would be people who would indeed encounter Jesus like Nicodemus has. Father God, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you would send your one and only son. That whoever would believe, whoever would look up, whoever would see the exalted, lifted King would find life everlasting, never to perish, that we need this probably more than we're willing to admit. I pray for every person in this room who has yet to encounter your grace and your mercy like that, that you would open eyes to see like Nicodemus. And God, for those of us who have encountered your spirit changing us, God, we pray you would help us to live in light of this new life that you've given us to be the transformed people that you have made us to be. Strengthen us. We ask this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen.